Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And uh, welcome to you. It is, uh, as I sit here, Monday, March 25th, 2019. And since I last spoke to you on Friday... um, the concept of justice, equal justice under the law, has taken it on the chin um, more than once. So uh, I sit here feeling as deflated and not quite as numb as I did the day after the 2016 election. Um, let me first uh, talk about what I had prophesized uh, more than once in the last few weeks. Uh, the fact that the cop would walk. the cop who put bullets into the back of an unarmed black kid would be found guilty of absolutely nothing. So that his attorney could stand uh, there after the jury reached its verdict and say without, without any caveats that uh, Officer Rossfeld was doing his job as he was trained, keeping us safe. I'd like him to define us. I don't think the Officer Rossfelds of the world keep black people safe. I don't think he kept Antoine Rose safe. He took his life. Not guilty. And so, there will be more. Dead black boys. Shot in the back. Innocent of nothing but being afraid and running. Understandably. His mother, Antoine Rose's mother, said it uh, most clearly, and uh, I mean exactly, her head was screwed on straight, as it seems to have always been. She said about the verdict, it's not what I was hoping, but it was what I was expecting. Bob and Braddock says, I have only three words to describe this nightmarish weekend, worst period, weekend, period, ever, period. It feels like it, but I'm sure we're capable of even worse than this, Bob. I heard the helicopters over my house 
when I went to bed on Friday night, and I really do try not to. I give myself a break on after I leave here on Friday, so I. I did not know about the verdict, and I was going to go to sleep. And it's hard to sleep when there's sound of helicopters over your house. I live in the East End. And the only other times I've heard that is when something terrible has happened. And so I checked and saw it. And needless to say, couldn't sleep. Boy, those jurors really, really, really deliberated a long, long time, didn't they? A friend sent me something that she says is all over Facebook now, and I, I, I want to share it with you because I appreciate the guy who wrote it. It's written by a guy who lives in California. His name is Mike Rhodes, and um, he grew up here. In fact, grew up where Anto Antoine Rose grew up. And he also talks about hovering helicopters. He says, for the first 25 years of my life, I never knew the sound of hovering media helicopters. But on June 19, 2018, I happened to be back home in East Pittsburgh I made note of the persistent helicopter drone in the distance, and I said, that's what it sounds like when there's a shooting on sunset, a reference to Los Angeles. Little did I know that a child that attended my former high school was gunned down less than a mile away by a police officer. And then he goes on, See, I have I have avoided this since I'm not on Facebook, um, and I don't listen to talk radio. Even I mean, it pretty much doesn't exist anymore. But I haven't heard the usual. Uh, what we usually hear after these kinds of things is, well, why did he run? If he hadn't done anything wrong, why did he run? And don't these parents teach their kids not to run? And that's what this guy wants to talk about. Because apparently he's been seeing these posts. And he says this, I see you. I see your reaction. I see you justifying the result and even worse celebrating I see you commenting on Facebook pages saying he should have known not to run I know you I know how similar you were to Antoine and now you distance yourself 
but at the age of 17, you were the same. Maybe a different skin color, but outside of that, the same kind of smile at the same school, hanging out on the same streets. He goes on and on and on. I saw you. Your friends were jackasses. You caused trouble. You probably even drank and smoked more than Antoine. A lot of you forget that I knew you back then, and you're pretending like you were saints. I've seen some of you destroy payphones in Swissvale, light off shells in Turtle Creek, or straight-up pipe bombs in North Braddock. We've played release together, and when the cops came, all of us ran. We went to the same party. Sometimes there were fights, violence, and when the cops came, we dipped out. We ran And he goes on and on and on. A lot of you people that weigh in now participated in these activities. If you are claiming now that you stuck around to get processed by the police, go F yourselves. Guns were fired. Homemade bombs were detonated. Windows were broken. Paintballs were flung. Fires were set, and every single one of us ran. No one died. If you were drinking at the slags and the cops showed up, you dip. If you were at a house party in Churchill and the cops showed up, you would dip. If the police were checking bags for liquor at Flagstaff Hill movie night, you'd dip. If you hopped the fence to play football at the Wolverina and the cop showed up, you would dip. You dipped. We all dipped if the chance was there, and no one died. Any of you could have been shot under the same circumstances, with the same justification. No, it, it, it could be shot with the same justification that he was shot for. And you don't recognize that? Stop acting like you would be a 17-year-old with adult knowledge. I knew you when you were 17, buddy. You were a dumbass like the rest of us. Okay, and now they're not letting me in. Wait a minute. To hear you talk as a now 35-year-old, like you would sit there to face due process as a brave soul, is pathetic and dishonest. I know you. We all know you. You are lying to yourself and everyone else. And when given the opportunity, all of you ran too. I saw you. You ran. At noon today, um, high school and college kids have been uh, told that they should walk off, walk out, and meet at the city-county building to protest uh, 
you know. Get sick of it. All right. Um. The Mueller report. The Mueller report. <laughs> Moving on to the next mind-blowing thing this weekend. I mean, first of all, I just want to say this. How can... How, I can't believe that all we've seen is nothing. I mean, we have seen nothing, right? Has anyone seen one page of the Mueller report? Mm-mm. And we can assume it's lengthy. All we have seen is a four-page letter written by the Attorney General, who likes to write, because he's the guy who wrote a 19-page memo before he was the Attorney General, saying, arguing that the President uh, could never be found guilty of just about anything, I believe, was his thesis. So all we got is this four-page mini cliff notes, um, which has things in it which really beg a lot of questions. So until um, we are privy to Robert Mueller's report. And I and I suppose when they do finally release whatever it is they will release, it'll be it'll look like uh some letter you know that the written to somebody in Russia that the Kremlin got a hold of and pretty much just says dear so and so and then everything is redacted and at the end love so and so, right? The whole thing'll be uh, it's unbelievable. Okay, I just want to say, and I, and I have steadfastly, I didn't want, my weekend was so ruined already, Friday night, but I didn't want, on Sunday, when I was aware, um, I mean, obviously I was aware before that, that the report was supposedly finished, and um, and then I was aware in the afternoon that Barr had done what he'd done, but I hadn't read it, his four pages, because I didn't want to. I wanted to <laughs> just avoid it as long as I possibly could. But this morning, I got up bright and early to read as much as I could. And, and um, one of the first things I saw was the president <laughs> tweet all caps, total exoneration, exclamation point, exclamation point. Which, of course, is a lie, because that's what this president does. He doesn't know anything else. How he can tweet total exoneration when, after I read Barr's four-page letter, I read this in it. The special counsel states that while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. <laughs> so there it is in black and white. 
Mueller is saying, I cannot exonerate him. Something stinks to high heaven here. I just, he must not have felt he had enough to slam dunk it, and he wasn't going to do it if he couldn't slam dunk it. But he didn't exonerate him. No, Barr did. (laughs) Barr decides that uh, I did. And so he says, I have so determined. (coughs) Well, here's who's going to have to determine, and I guess we're just going to have to wait it out. It will be determined. In a national election, which is in less than two years. That is, we've got to suffer this for almost two more years. And if we do not turn this guy out, repudiate him in no uncertain terms, then I, that country's gone. I I sort of think it might be anyway, but we're gone. I am admittedly pessimistic by nature, but I must say that denial is a very comfortable place to be. And denial, uh, I see a lot of people in denial about the the health let's put it that way of this country this country is grievously ill this country i think could be dying and i think there are all kinds of indications and have been for some time that that is true donald trump just you know made it pretty difficult to think otherwise. Institutions don't really work very well anymore. There is no, the the division um, uh, in the country is as great as it was before the Civil War. It is. I mean, Americans literally are, are at each other's throats. We've lost our standing in the world. You you can't get that back overnight. And I don't know. I I just, it's unbelievable. Is this what white male privilege looks like, that Donald Trump, this clear con man, this clear, crooked, narcissistic, well, okay, I'll spare you all the adjectives, that this guy can do what he does and get off. He wins again. Is that what it looks like? Donald Trump's, well, justice came calling for Donald Trump this weekend, and he's a happy guy. Officer Rossfeld, 
He's a happy guy. Antoine Rose, not so much. I'd take, oh God, I would sacrifice both of those white guys to have Antoine Rose back in a minute. Anyway, I uh, we have a caller. I uh, okay. I I just um. Mm, Dispirited, I guess, is uh, the word for me among many. Uh, caller, go ahead. Hi. Hi. How you doing, Lynn? Oh, horribly. Um, yeah, me too. You know what? I want to ask Mahler, if you or I were in that situation, would he keep that bar high like that too and say, well, there's not enough evidence? I guarantee we'd go to jail. So... It's such bullshit, and I know everybody was praising Mueller. I was when they said he was in charge of it. I, okay, fine, but look back at Iran Contra and that bullshit. And then they bring in the guy Barr, who was involved in that too. I thought, oh, here we go again. So the whole thing—it's just all fixed as usual. It's almost like they bring in somebody to whitewash it, and that's the end of it. I—I <clears throat> I just it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And in the media made it worse because they kept saying there's something there's there's there every day and you could see the looks on their face they had a like that chuck todd he looked like he was pissed because they thought there was something going to come out and now it even looks worse for the democrats because trump looks like i told you no collusion he kept saying it the whole time because he knew there wasn't because somebody was telling him there wasn't that's why he kept saying it. he didn't know the rest of the stuff yeah. That's why he kept saying it, because Whitaker, one of those people, were telling him information. Somehow he was getting, guaranteed getting information. Well, He probably knew the verdict of this. I wouldn't, shouldn't say the verdict, but he knew what was going to happen before it happened on Sunday. He was told. Guaranteed that Barr told him. I don't know. I don't know how you... I don't know. I don't but, know. Uh, but, um, I, I think he might have been... I think they were sweating a little bit. Um, but the reports that they were starting to feel some measure of relief before the report did, I mean, the report, we don't have the report, before Barr put out his his little four pages, um, suggests that, yeah, somebody told them sometime during the weekend, hey, guys, it's pretty good for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... It is, <clears throat> See, I think the Democrats should follow up with the other stuff, though. They should go through with it. Don't back down. No, no, Keep no. Keep going through with it. Right. Got to finish it out. Well, the first thing we need to do is get the report. Right. We need to get the report. Can you? Um, it's two years of labor, and Mueller, being such a sort of tight ass, would have had you know everything that he put down in that report that we have yet to see would have probably had a million different little sites and appendices and all this kind of stuff. We need to see, we need to know what he found. Even if for some reason he couldn't he didn't feel he could prove beyond a reasonable doubt. He obviously smelled something that he would not say he could not exonerate the president. For God's sake, we all, we all heard Trump say 
to uh, what's his name um, on NBC, um, he actually said he fired Comey because of the Russia thing. He fired him to stop the Russia investigation. That in and, and of itself is, uh, is an attempt to uh, obstruct the search for justice. We all and I don't believe he, Mueller told him, you, I'm going to leave it up to you to decide if there was obstruction of justice. He has made that part up. There's nowhere in there it says that what we so far. Well, we if you read know. more, it probably doesn't say that. Well, we don't know. And I, I mean, yeah, you don't know, but I, I don't, don't think know. so. Mostly we don't know anything. Another thing, that should have never went to him. That's not how it's done. If you listen to the people from Watergate and that, it goes to the uh, Congress. No, I, I think, no, I don't think so. He was, I think Mueller so. was working for the Attorney General of the United States, and the report would be delivered to him. Seriously. Huh. Well, yeah. Maybe that's because there was independent investigations before. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, maybe this. Yeah, this situation might be different. Yeah, you're probably right. Okay. All well, right. Bye. I'm sorry I couldn't cheer you up, Eddie. <laughs> no, 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 it's impossible. Okay. Bye. Yep. Bye. Okay. We'll call. see you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Um. <clears throat> Uh, I, I want to share with you something um, that was in the New York Times today, uh, written by a guy who was a, a, a acting solicitor general under uh, Obama. Um, his name is Neil Katyal, and he said um, this: that Barr's letter concludes that the president did not obstruct justice when he uh, fired the FBI director, James Comey. And this guy goes on to say, you know, such a conclusion would be momentous in any event. But to come to this conclusion within 48 hours of receiving the report, which pointedly itself did not reach that conclusion, should be deeply concerning to every American. So he says Barr gets Mueller's, Mueller's report, sees that Mueller cannot, in fact, exonerate Trump on obstruction, but he decides he can. His letter says Mueller set out, quote, evidence on both sides of the question and leaves unresolved what the special counsel views as difficult issues of law. Yet, though us, we, the public, we don't know what those difficult issues are. That would be in the report. Obviously, Barr didn't find them particularly difficult because in 48 hours, or I'm sure much less, he decided, I'm exonerating him. Uh, Barr also said that the government would need to prove that Trump acted with corrupt intent and then went on to say that there were no such actions. And this guy says, what? 
the hell do you know that? No one ever talked to Trump. How can you say he had no corrupt intentions when you never asked him? No one ever asked him. The 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 um, the NBC anchor whose name I'm forgetting asked him, and Trump told us all that his intent was to shut down the Russia investigation. It's why he fired Comey. It was Russia, he said. <clears throat> this guy writes that the fact that Barr has rushed to judgment within 48 hours after a 22-month investigation is deeply worrisome. The opening lines of the um, of the obstruction section of Barr's little letter he says are even more concerning it says that the special counsel investigated let me get this absolutely straight it says that the special counsel Mueller investigated quote a number of actions by the president most of which have been the subject of public reporting. The incident I'm talking about, for instance. We saw before our very eyes <laughs> the president uh, say what he said. But this guy, he's not, this is why these guys are lawyers, he says the fact that he says most of the special counsel investigated a number of actions by the president, most of which have been the subject of public reporting, suggests that at least some of the foundation for an obstruction of justice charge has not been made public. So Mueller did have more on obstruction. It wasn't all out there. And Barr doesn't tell us what any of that is. He just decides. Which, according to this former Solicitor General, says, raises the serious question of whether the Attorney General Barr's decision Sunday was based on the bizarre legal views that he set out in an unsolicited 19-page memo last year, the memo that made the argument that the obstruction of justice statute does not apply to the president because the text of the statute does not specifically mention the president. This is why he is the attorney general. It is this memo he wrote that he didn't think a president could be found guilty of obstruction of justice. And that's why he's attorney general. And a lot of other legal scholars think his memo was hooey. As this guy says, so he doesn't think the president can commit 
obstruction because the statute doesn't specifically mention the president? He says, does the murder statute specifically mention a president? And yet, if the president murdered somebody, <laughs> could he not be convicted of murder? In other words, Barr thinks a president cannot be convicted of anything. So it's up to Congress now and it's up to us. Congress has a, a clear path. It has to demand, do everything in its power to get the full report. Um, and we need to see, the public needs to see what Mueller found. And then they've got to call Mueller in front of congressional committees and bar. Dear Lord. <sighs> I'm whimpering. Also, the New York Times editorial uh, has, I think, some interesting points to make, too. Uh, and it says, Mueller may not have found sufficient evidence, sufficient evidence of a criminal conspiracy uh, in regard to collusion with Russia. But let's not lose sight of what we know. Really. Something smelly as hell was going on. We know that the Russian government interfered repeatedly in our election and in our election process. We know they did that with the f intent of uh, dividing Americans. They've done very well with that. And they did it with the intent of electing Donald Trump. And we know he won. And we also know that top members of the Trump campaign knew about the interference. And they did not go to the FBI. They did, uh, they did not blow a whistle. In fact, they welcomed it. They encouraged it. Now, if all of that doesn't rise to a level of conspiracy, okay, but exoneration? We know. We know that under questioning by federal authorities, almost everyone surrounding Trump lied repeatedly about this. Which also begs the question, why is everybody lying if they're not hiding something? Seriously. Can you give me another possible? They refused to say that they had, in fact, had communications with Russians. And it was proved later that uh, they did. And... 
let's recall, this started out as a counterintelligence investigation. There were concerns that Trump was in the Russians' pocket and the people around him. There were concerns in the FBI. That's where this started, really. But it quickly turned into a criminal investigation. Why? Because the people around the president, the fine people he chose, were criminals. So the chairman of his campaign, he's going to jail. He is in jail. His national security advisor is going to jail. His foreign policy advisor has been convicted. George Papadopoulos uh, and, and his campaign foreign policy advisor, his national security advisor, Flynn. I mean, uh, we got Roger Stone waiting. Michael Cohen, his personal... These are crooks. Barack Obama was president of the United States for eight years. Not a single person in his administration was convicted of a crime. Not a single. And there are so many crooks around this president. Forgive us for assuming that all of that smoke had to be the result of a fire somewhere. The Times ends its uh, editorial with this. Vladimir Putin had a clear favorite. He interfered on his favorite's behalf and his favorite was elected president of the United States. Trump's campaign officials knew about this, and they were more than happy for the help. And then they lied about receiving that help, despite the fact that knowing that their lies could land them in jail for a long time. This isn't so complicated. And while Mueller may not have been able to do anything about it, Congress and the American people certainly can. And that's what we now have to set our sights on. That's what we now have to do. And that's scary because it means we've got to find the right um, candidate. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, Chuck writes, in the months leading up to the election of 2016, the media and polling agency had us convinced that Hillary would win in a landslide. So much so that some people didn't even vote, right? Or they indulged themselves and, and voted for Jill Stein. 
another Vladimir Putin uh, fan. Uh, over the past two years, CNN and MSNBC had us convinced that Trump would be led away in handcuffs when Mueller's report came out. And this morning, those news outlets are throwing Mueller under the bus. <laughs> Chuck says, I blame myself. After the election, I promised myself that I would not be a victim of the media again. And now, once again, I am just that. Democracy, the United States, and the media have taken the biggest hit in all of this. I don't think we can recover. Certainly, the Democratic Party may never recover. I don't know. I don't know. Dear God. Uh, uh, Bob writes, nothing best justifies the Bible verse in Job 8.22. Those who hate you shall be clothed in shame. Nothing justifies or typifies that, quite like all of the divisive racist comments, yeah, towards Antoine Rose and his family on the Facebook pages of our three TV stations and the Post-Gazette after the not guilty verdict was announced. It is, it is amazing. So, you remember the old comic strip Pogo by Al Cap? We have met the enemy, <laughs> and he is us. And I just, it just occurred to me that the title of that Jordan Peele uh, movie that's getting a lot of good reviews, that scary movie, is Us, isn't it? Us. And it is about, I think, I mean, I, I'm actually going to steal myself and go see it because um, I, I hate scary movies, but I think Jordan Peele is a, a genius. It's called Us. I bet he got that from that quote. We've met the enemy and <laughs> it's us. Because his, his movie apparently sort of does that, shows that what is most terrifying is ourselves. And I I don't think there's any any doubt about that. Hmm. So if anyone still feels like protesting, as I said at noon, young people are going to be showing up. The Pittsburgh Public Schools have told kids if they leave class for this, they'll be marked as, you know, MIA or something. I mean, whatever it is, like, uh, that y'all don't have permission to do so. Um, but I would imagine some will, and I, I have no idea. I can see where people think, yeah, so I marched Friday night, I marched Saturday. 
I showed up at vigils on Sunday. And then you have John Delano of KDKA tweeting something about, this is not the way, it, you know, because I guess traffic got stopped for a bit in Oakland because of demonstrators in the street. This is not the way, you know, to change things. You do it by, you know, organizing and electing people and doing it the way the and this does not get you any friends or move things forward, something to that effect. And boy, is he taking it on the chin on Twitter for it. Because, I don't know how John Delano forgot, but civil disobedience and mass protest is exactly what is necessary to move the powers that be. I don't think Dr. King would agree with Delano's tweet. I know Rosa Parks would say, what? You mean the fact that I held up this bus is not going to move things forward? What is it about people that don't understand? I mean, and then you see people characterizing it as a riot. They don't know what a riot is. They don't know the difference between a protest, which is as American as it comes. God, this country was founded with people going into the streets and protesting. What the hell was the Boston Tea Party? Oh, well, that's just not done. That would be John Delano if he lived during the Boston Tea Party. This is not going to make the king happy, and this is no way to get change. Change by its nature is disruptive, and change of a corrupted system like our justice system is exceedingly difficult and does not happen with some minor inconveniences. It's like you want to say to these people saying, well, that is not helpful. It just makes me mad and then I turn against what you're trying to get me to see. They cannot be inconvenienced for one second to have their heads turned and to listen to something that needs to be heard. Antoine Rose well he was more than inconvenienced. He's dead. A beautiful child. And by all accounts a good kid is dead. Yeah, people forget, don't they? As I, I think I told the story uh, last week, when I was even older than Antoine, I made some really stupid, potentially life-threatening decisions. I also was doing things against the law. I put myself in jeopardy. If a cop had come on the scene, I would have run. But you know what? I wouldn't have been shot in the back. 
What's a black kid supposed to do? Do what Johnny Gamage did? And not run? He's dead. It is quite understandable for a black man getting stopped by police to immediately feel like they are in very dangerous, a very dangerous situation. If you stay here, you might be dead. If you run, you might be dead. What you going to do? Pick one. And all these white people saying, well, they shouldn't have run, and he shouldn't have this, and he shouldn't have that. He was 17 years old. He was scared out of his mind. He'd already been, he was in the car in which something happened that he did not know was going to happen. A gun was fired. He was already scared out of his mind and probably thinking, oh, dear God, what have I gotten myself into? And then a cop shows up. Yeah. I'd run. I'd be alive. How can a white guy go into a synagogue and mow down all those people and all these cops come and they're looking for him. They're in the building and he's hiding and they're going from room to room. And he walks out. He walks out. The same with Dylan Roof. He mowed down a bunch of black people in church. And he was on the run. And he's somehow captured. And he's alive. Why do white people get to commit unbelievably heinous crimes and live... They actually get a trial. But if you're black, you get convicted and executed within a millisecond. And a lot of white people, they just keep coming up with one excuse after another, just refusing to see what is in front of their very eyes. It's extraordinary. Anyway, as I was saying, if you still have any protesting in you, if you're not so dispirited that you're in a fetal position, you know, in a corner somewhere, there is the noon thing happening at the city hall. And at f between 4 and 6, there is a picket in, that is uh, being called for, picket line, in front of the Post-Gazette um, to support the poor folks inside who have been working without a contract, who have not had a raise in 13 years, who've seen their health benefits decimated. Um, if you want to support the PG workers, that's four to six over on the on the north side. Three fifty eight North Shore Drive. Just saying, four to six.
And if you want to just do what, as I said, Jews always do when bad things happen and just go go eat, um, I want to remind you of the Taste 3.0, Pittsburgh, Taste 30, PGH.com, and a whole bunch of restaurants. If you go to that, Taste30PGH.com, you'll see all the restaurants that are part of this uh program and it ends this week it ends it's only in march and they're all all these restaurants are offering a special uh multi-course dinner obviously depending on which restaurant it is it's different stuff and you can certainly check with them and uh not any dinner is over 39 dollars some are less okay and just saying taste30pgh.com so friend was over last night and we were talking and trying so hard to think of I, I said more than once what did we used to talk about can you remember our lives before? I mean, did we? And then I thought, well, we did, you know, trouble ourselves with talk about the state of the world and other things. But, but we also, I think, we were lighter in our our demeanor and we laughed more. Anyway, there is a, a feel-good story that I did see a few days ago and then a follow-up on it that came to my attention, so I'm going to tell you about it. You may have seen it. I'm sure it's been covered um, on television because it's one of those feel-good stories that everybody likes. It's about this little boy from Nigeria. He's, I think, seven and um, his parents, no, he's eight, excuse me, he's all of eight. And his name is uh, Tani. And Tani got in the news because he won some chess championship in his age bracket in apparently such an astonishingly you know, take no prisoners way when he had just started playing chess a year before that people went, what, 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 what? Tani uh, was born and uh, lived most of his life, his eight years in uh, Nigeria. His parents ran from Nigeria with him to get away from Boko Haram, they are devout Christians, and they are in this country, but they are seeking asylum. <laughs> ha! Oh, lots of luck. They're seeking asylum seekers, and they're dark. Ha! Fat chance. These are the kind of people that Donald Trump is keeping us safe from. So lots of luck, Tani and your parents. They're homeless, 
they don't have enough to find shelter. They're living in New York, and they're living in a homeless shelter. And they, the kid, Connie, is going to a public school in New York City. And they had a chess club, and he joined it a year ago. And now, he's like, I mean, strikes terror. This, he's this big. He strikes terror in the hearts of, of uh, you know, people who think of them as grand, themselves as grandmasters. So, I know Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times did write it. This is where I heard about him. He did a column on the kid. And in the column, he had... Tani bringing his trophy home, which was almost as big as he was, and dragging it, practically dragging it into the shelter where he lives. His dad rents a car and then uses it to drive for Uber. And his dad also is working other stuff. His mother is, the, the, the parents are both working, but they can't, you know, they don't have enough money to find a place uh, to live so they're homeless so he Nicholas Kristoff writes about this little eight-year-old refugee and taking his trophy back to the homeless shelter and of course people go oh and so a GoFundMe campaign gets started up and raised over two hundred thousand dollars so the upshot of the story now is that they're not in the shelter anymore. A uh, a lot of people offered housing. Kristoff uh, says, my God, some of the housing was like these palatial places. They were offered them. Here, you can live here. Um, immigration lawyers got in touch and said, we will work with you to for nothing to get you your um you know have a successful uh asylum um film companies from hollywood come calling and listen to what this family did they accepted one of the more modest apartments that was offered to them for a year rent-free. Um, and it's they chose it because it was near the school that Tani goes to. <clears throat> and they said that the other 200 thou, the rest of the, two, the all of the 200 thou, they weren't keeping any of it. These people have nothing. They are not going to keep it. They plan to take 10% of it out, 20 thou. They're going to take out and donate to their church, which helped them while they were homeless. And the rest of the money they are putting into a foundation named after their son, and the foundation will go to help African immigrants who are struggling like they in the United States. 
How extraordinary is that? These are the people that the Trump folks and their base consider somehow polluting America when they exemplify the greatest part of us. Christoph, in a follow-up, writes this. The family was tempted by the offers of full scholarships at top private schools. <laughs> but they turned them down too, although they said maybe for middle school, but Tani will stay with public elementary school PS116 because, as his mother said, this school showed confidence in Tani. They taught him chess, and they, did, and they waived the fees for the chess club because he couldn't have afforded them. They let him learn chess. And so she told the principal, we will return the confidence in you and keep him here. That is a story of the America we like to believe in. It's still sort of there, but look who exemplifies it, a refugee family. Exemplifying the best in us. And of generous Americans with this GoFundMe. But this is not, they are one, so... It, it, that's not an answer to go fund me for everybody who might get the attention of media, right? I don't know. But that's one, one feel-good story that I found and I wanted to share. So, thank you for joining me. Be strong. Don't give up. Don't give up, double down. We have got to have a resounding victory at the polls, and we've got to work for it, every one of us. Okay? See you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers. <laughs>